Welcome to Go Behind the Ballot, a podcast where two Texas moms go on an educational quest to demystify Texas politics. Join me, Nicole Abshire, and my co-host, Claire Campos O'Neill, as we deep dive into the most burning issues, hear stories from candidates, and offer hope in these challenging political times. Let's saddle up and go behind the ballot. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Go Behind the Ballot. I'm Claire Campos O'Neill. And I am Nicole Abshire. And for today's episode, we are going to be continuing our conversation about immigration. Oh, man, me and Nicole are realizing what a big, overwhelming topic this is, but we're going to try to give you a little bit more information, a little bit more food for thought, and there's no way we'll cover the scope of this, but we're not scared. We're going we're gonna to do what we can do in the next 15 to 20 minutes or so and see where we you land. You know what it does? It um, helps us build empathy for politicians trying to solve this problem. It's a real recognition of how complicated it is and complex. So complicated. That actually that you said that, Nicole, makes me think of our first conversation with Representative Vicki Goodwin. The thing I really love about her is she acknowledges the complicated nature of political issues. And it's like, wow, this one is is big. It's real big. And it also seems like because it's been neglected for so long, it's only compounded the complexity and the urgency. And so the longer it's ignored and not dealt with, the harder it gets. Right. And and things have changed. I mean, we're going to talk about Title 42 in this conversation, but when the pandemic hit, that also threw a wrench into the plans. And, and as a politician, you have to decide, do we stop allowing immigrants to come because of health concerns, which could be legitimate. So yeah, there's a lot of factors at play here that make this um, not an easy problem to solve, that's for sure. So for this conversation, we're going to link a couple articles that we referenced to help inform our discussion. Uh, But the main one we want to talk about is an article that was recently written by our friend of the podcast, podcast guest, Uriel Garcia. And uh, it was the author, the article we're going to talk about was co-authored by Sine Day. Am I saying that right? Well... We're doing our best. I think so. It'll be in the, in the notes. And this article is in the Texas Tribune, and it was called Joe Biden Tours El Paso for First Border Visit of His Presidency. Um, as y'all might know, Joe Biden, our president, current president, currently came to Texas to El Paso to tour the border. And this was the first time he had done so in his presidency. Our governor, Governor Greg Abbott, has been wanting him to come for a while and see the border firsthand and understand what we're dealing with here. Y'all might know or not know, but I'll tell you a big thing Governor Greg Abbott talked about in previous sessions is talking about in our current 88th session is border security. If you're on Twitter, he talks about this all the time. So this is really, um, a priority of his, something that is important to him. So the president came, they met, they discussed, and uh, this article reported on that. So, Nicole, tell me some of the things that you saw in this article that really jumped out at you. Well, I there was a lot of information to take in. So what I really chose to focus on was what plans the Biden administration has laid out 
in terms of how it wants to address the issues at the border. So I just kind of made a list as I read them of about six things um, that they are proposing. So I'm sure we don't want to go through that whole list right now, but um, I don't know if we want to actually, do you want to back up? Claren, should we talk about Title 42? Yes. Because it came up, if you listen to our Uriel conversation, and it, I think we could use some clarity around that. Thank you. Okay, yes. Title 42 came up in our discussion with Uriel, and to be honest, I was like, title what? And I'm still a little bit like that, but we're going to try to help you understand it because this is discussed a lot right now around the conversation regarding immigration. So this is from an article that NBC recently came out with. Really good information. We're going to link this in the show notes. But it says, quote, Title 42 is a part of U.S. law that deals with public health, social welfare, and civil rights. It gives a federal government the ability to take emergency action to keep communicable diseases out of the country. Before then, President Donald Trump used it in 2020. It had only been used in 1929 to keep ships from China and the Philippines from entering U.S. ports before a meningitis outbreak, end quote. So Title 42 probably isn't in much of our memories because it hasn't been used in forever. This is um, kind of a recent thing that's come up. And as as uh, what I just read tells you, it was it was invoked because the recent giving was because of the COVID outbreak. What do you, what are you what's your um, understanding of it, Nicole? No, I think that's exactly right. And what's interesting is to learn about it now and to think about how the criticism is that President Trump used it sort of not for what it was meant for and that he kind of, it's almost presented as that he took advantage of the law in order to create an anti-immigration policy. But I I have to say, I have a little bit of a rereading of that, of that impression, which is that we were in the midst of a pandemic. I mean, there is no denying sort of the lack of information we had especially at first when COVID-19 was starting to um, be on the rise. And, and I think it's, it's because Donald Trump had such, um, woof, you know, charged rhetoric around immigrants that it was very easy to then sort of lay this charge at his feet that he was improperly using Title 42. But interestingly, I don't know that I think that that's exactly as clean and clear as it's been presented. Yeah, agree. And I, I think you could say that Mer- there was maybe some inconsistencies with his uh, um, response to COVID because you didn't see a big push from his administration for vaccinations, which the scientific community said was necessary to um, help curb the spread of COVID. And yet he used Title 42 to keep out immigrants which I think at the time was argued to reduce COVID exposure to Americans, but it's like, but was there something else there? And again, who knows? I mean, it's a complicated issue. And um, yeah, like it's funny if you look at it through like um, like a black and white, like political lens, or maybe someone was saying to him, this is actually health-wise the best thing to do. So yes, it's interesting having hindsight now looking back on this and then where we are today and with COVID, which is still here amongst us, how do we go forward in a way that protects health, but also helps immigrants? I mean, again, it's like, there's no easy answer to this. There really isn't. And and here we're getting back to something that has been a 
repetitive theme as we have looked at so many things on this podcast, which is the lack of transparency, right? There, there is a reason to sort of doubt what we were presented as the reasons for various things because you can see so much inconsistency. And so once again, right, I feel like there's this theme of if you don't have transparent information or somebody's presenting an issue in this case, um, you know, in one way, but then you see a political inconsistency in the way that they're addressing the same issue in another sense, that that's, there's dissonance there, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's once again, like it's not, people are not presenting themselves transparently and truthfully. And so that leads to so much doubt and distrust. Um, so. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm going to go, we're going to bounce between a few articles, but I want to go back really quickly to the NBC one. Um, so I kept wondering, so what's all, what's all this talk about title 42 now? And apparently, um, with title 42, it basically permitted border officers to dispense with the asylum process. And I think that's why there's a lot of controversy around it. A lot of criticism from humanitarian organizations, because it kind of gives carte blanche for officers to say, we aren't going to be dealing with immigration period, even though Previously, asylum was sort of a special case because we have people fleeing for their lives, fleeing um, gang violence, political oppression, all these horrible things. But that was put on pause because of Title 42. So Title 42, the way I understand it, is kind of closed the gates to everyone, period, no exceptions. And that's where, where uh, where it's bubbling up again because my understanding is that the Biden administration wants to lift Title 42, do away with that policy, but there's been a lot of pushback from states, uh, specifically more conservative states like our own Texas, saying, no, no, we want to keep this in place. But going back to what you're saying, Nicole, it's like, but for what, like, what, are, what is the goal here? And I think that's the thing. Like, what are we trying to accomplish? Are we trying to just say no one else is allowed into America or only certain people are allowed? And it's like, what is this process to make immigration smoother, more fair, more legal? Like, that's almost a separate discussion. So it's, again, like really messy. That's it's kind of a lot. really, but, really messy. Yeah. Well, yeah, because Claire, I... The Tribune article actually says that the Biden administration is looking to expand Title 42. Mm. So, and that's what a lot of the advocates for immigrants are disappointed with. They're happy with some of the things that the Biden administration is proposing, but disappointed that they're looking to expand Title 42. So yes, it is incredibly messy. And I think that you're so right to step back and actually just get really basic with Title 42 and reminding us that it allows agents at the border just to essentially, yeah, turn people away, that you are not allowed to come in, you're not processed in any way, you must stay, of course, on the southern border in Mexico. Um, And so, yeah, it means that they are not processed at all, which of course doesn't necessarily stop people from trying to enter. Right. Right. Then people enter without being processed. Right. Yes. So it's like, and then what do you do with that? Like you, you, this isn't something that you can control the way they are trying to control it. People are still going to come. So then it's like, what does that process look like to 
I mean, these are people like I think, too, at the end of the day, and this is why I really like the Texas Tribune article is it talks about a, a person. It, it gets to that human element of the story. These are people like you and me who are leaving their home countries because their situation is so dire that they feel like they can no longer be there. I think most of us can agree that if we had our choice, we would stay where we live and we grew up and our communities are and our work is. But we're talking about people who are in awful circumstances. I'm going to bounce to the end of the article. Um, But something that the reporters highlighted was this woman named Carolina Rodriguez. She's 33. And this really stuck out to me because I'm 37. And it says that she and her husband left their home country They left their 12-year-old and their 9-year-old back home with their mother um, because they wanted to come to the U.S. to work. And it got so bad for them that they were getting threats that that their kids were going to be kidnapped if they didn't pay money. I mean, just like a terrible situation. And I'm reading this sitting, thinking about my own situation. Like, what if one day someone was threatening to, to steal my children and take them ransom? I, I would really have to think, can I stay, like, what can I do to protect my family and make things better? So I can't imagine that that could, it could happen to any of us. I think sometimes we just get so comfortable with our circumstances that we can't even allow our imaginations to consider what if this happened to me? And when you do, then you start to really empathize with these people and their situation. And I definitely did because this woman's story, I'm like, this could be my story. That's such a good point. The desperation that people are in that would, you know, get them to flee from wherever they're from can only be really awful, right? People don't choose to walk hundreds and thousands of miles not knowing what's going to happen once they arrive just because they feel like it, right? We're yeah. talking about really desperate circumstances. Yeah. yeah, it is. It, yeah, it's, it's, you can sense the desperation um, when um, Oriel and his uh, co writer, Sane, I hope I'm saying that right, co writer. <laughs> uh, you can sense the desperation from the people that they're interviewing. And I'm not saying I have the answers. I'm not saying, like, let them all come in. I'm saying we need to find a way to make this work that's humane. I really would love to see us just come back to humanizing that these are people, these laws in place when you're like, oh, sorry, can't come. Title 42, that's the law. The law is invented by people, okay? Like we're all just making this stuff up as we go. So we can change it if we think that is the humane, compassionate, loving thing to do. We can change it. We can pressure our representatives to change it. But what we keep coming back to is, my goodness, something has to be done because the current situation is is uh, it's unsustainable. Well, it really is. I mean, I think if we know anything, people are coming. People are going to immigrate to the U.S. We have so much opportunity here. We have- We have you know, jobs. We have so many jobs that are not filled. Exactly. So people are coming. So why not create- legal pathways? Why not create a system that can respond to what is the reality so that we can have some sense of normalcy, if there is such a thing, and order um, at the border? I mean, it just, it feels like an obvious need. 
Right. Right. Or else we're, it, this is going to continue and it's only going to get more chaotic and violent. It's only going to leave space for people who have violent solutions. It's only going to leave space for, you know, more dangerous crossings. Like there, there isn't a good place to go unless we pay attention, create laws, enforce laws, you know, create pathways, all the things that really, really need to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is again, where if y'all haven't, our listeners haven't heard the episode with Uriel, I would encourage you to go back because he did talk about this, about how the pathway to citizenship has changed so much. Like some people who are, who, who are American citizens now, but came here from another country will say, well, they should do it the way I did it. Well, that way looks different now because administrations have changed, policies have changed. So, um, it's just such a moving target. And something I want to highlight from the Texas Tribune article is uh, it says, quote, Biden recently announced a new set of policies that w- would allow 30,000 migrants per month from Cuba, Haiti, Nicaragua, and Venezuela and to enter the country and to be able to work legally for up to two years as long as they apply from their home country and they find someone to support them economically in the U.S., end quote. Okay. So there's a policy. This is good. But when I read that, I thought about our conversation with Uriel and how he said a lot of these policies, and uh, I think human rights advocates would say this too, they're tailored to a certain group of people. Like the people who are coming here, as we're saying, are the most desperate and might not have the means to go through channels like this, might not have someone in the U.S. who can sponsor them, might not have the means to you know, jump through the hoops that they need to. So it's like, what about those? Those are really the people coming. So what about them? And it just makes me wonder, what are we doing? Yes. Um, I would also say though, thank goodness though, that there, there is something that's being proposed. Um, So when I was mentioning the expansion of title 42, it's linked to what you just described. So the other part of what the Biden administration is proposing is that, um, If, so in other words, like if more than the 30,000 come from those four countries that are allotted, in other words, they sort of like don't use that mechanism, then the expand, what the expansion of title 42 would allow is that they can be expelled. Um, and so if they enter illegally, then they would be expelled to Mexico and apparently the um, Mexico has agreed to accept them. So up to 30,000, up to that same number of migrants. So that and that would be under the guise of Title 42. Yeah, thank you for uh, adding that on, Nicole. Um, man, this is complicated. I remember reading that and being like, huh? But now as you're saying that now, I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's how I feel so many times. It's like, it, yeah, it really kind of gets in the weeds. Um, and then, and that 30,000 number seems to be a real thing, um, because another part of it, the next part of it is that if more than 30,000 are apprehended, um, yeah, going over that number, then they would be processed under standard immigration laws. And what that would mean is because they entered illegally, right, then they would be, potentially deported, and then under a five-year ban from being able to enter legally. So then there's consequences, too, for not 
following that particular pathway that could right. lead to a five-year ban. Yeah. Um, but the goal of that, I was reading from the Department of Homeland Security Secretary, Alejandra Mayorkas, is to incentivize, you know, safe, orderly entry and de-incentivize the smuggling organizations that are so dangerous and that exist because right. then people have a legal pathway. So then they no longer need to use um, illegal smuggling right. as their path. Yeah. And I, I hope we all could agree that when we see people who are being smuggled, you know, drowning during border crossings or dying of dehydration in the desert, that no one, like that is a true tragedy and that is something we need to prevent. So um, while this is a great mechanism to address that, I think from the conversation from Uriel, what I'm thinking is, and yet we're still leaving out a lot of people who can't go through that path. So how do we help the most desperate? Uh, which is, you know, a big political question, whether it's helping immigrants or helping people here in America who are in desperate situations. It's just something that we need to be mindful of and help reduce. Um, because when we're in des people in desperate situations, it's it's bad for all of us. I think that's something to remember. It's it's just not good for any of us, you know. Maybe your family doesn't deal with this, but um, I just hope that we can, through this podcast and talking about this stuff, have just a little bit more compassion for the people going through this. Yeah, I agree. I mean, my father is a naturalized citizen. He was an immigrant at some point who had a legal pathway. Um, and so he was able to become a naturalized citizen. Uh, I have no idea, of course, what his pathway would look like at, at this point in time. I'd have to look into that. But, you know, my point being that when we can be compassionate, right, we create really great outcomes for people. And I, another thing that you pointed out earlier, which is really important, is that we do have jobs that some people here don't want to do and that people are willing to come here to do. And I think it is important that we recognize that and appreciate that. Um, but, and here's another thing that occurred to me as we've been talking about this, which is that these issues are so complex. And I think that it can be, I would imagine discouraging as a leader to make proposals and have people tell you, and it's still not enough. And I think that something I'm really kind of coming to terms with as we've had these conversations is what the role of leadership is and what it means to be a leader. And so I guess what I would hope is that our leaders try, right? It, yes. it, it sometimes feels like on this issue, there just hasn't been any trying for so yeah. long. Immigrants have been used as political, you know, fodder. They just throw these people's lives back and forth to suit their own agendas, but without actually making meaningful policy and decision. And, um, I think that we're always going to be critical of policies that are put in place and proposed, and that's okay. But goodness gracious, please put in some policies. Please try something. Um, that's that's just what I would like to see. Yeah. Yeah, I really appreciate you bringing that up. It makes me think of this um, thing I heard recently. I do a lot of you know, volunteer work outside of the podcast. And um, this one woman said that sh she read in a book or somewhere, someone said, uh, do for one what you wish you could do for many. And I really took comfort in that because I have this tension, like, well, if we can't 
help all these people? Where do you, do you even try to help some of these people? And I think that quote is right. You you start where you are. You do what you can. Um, you're not gonna. It's just like literally impossible to help with all the needs out in the world. But if we're doing our little part and someone else is doing their little part to truly make things better, it 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 starts to finally feel less overwhelming, I think. And then maybe through that process of us helping this little portion of folks, we see how we see the path forward to help those other ones that got left behind. So thanks, Nicole. I know like it's tough being a leader because you get hammered on. You will never make everyone happy, yeah. period. But um the important part is the is making the effort, having the plan, messing up, making it better. But to do nothing, it's like in my opinion, don't be a leader. If you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. And I think, unfortunately, we've gotten really used to seeing that kind of posture from our leadership. It's a lot of just slinging mud, throwing around, well, you, 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 and nobody willing to take the risk of of actually doing something. That may fail. But if you're a true leader, you stand behind your effort and you know, are willing to take the hit. I mean, I just think that that's what true leadership looks like. A hundred percent. Yeah. Take the hit. Uh, yeah. That makes me think about uh, Brene Brown's work and how she talks about being in the arena and to be courageous is to fail. Um, but you learn so much in that failure and that rumble. So you got to do it. You got to take it on. Because again, if, if, you're, if you're not up for that, then you you're not a leader. You might be an elected office, but are you truly a leader? Nuh-uh, you're not. So, um, And know, we see a lot of people in power who are purely in in those positions to hold on to power, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, it isn't about problem solving or finding solutions or being what I would consider a true leader. And that's disappointing and we see it a lot. Um, so kudos, I would say actually for trying something. And I, I hope... I hope yeah. that they do, and I hope that we see we see what happens because we can only know if these solutions are helpful by putting them in place. So, yeah, and we would encourage everyone to. I mean, a great first start is just to know who your leaders are. Well, your leaders, hopefully, your leaders know who your representatives are. Find out, follow them on Twitter, Facebook, wherever. Know what policies they are voting for or putting forward. And hold them accountable. You can call them and say, I'm really concerned about immigration. What are you doing? Because they are your elected official. And if we're all doing that, they're going to feel the heat to do something, like we're saying. So start there. We've said this before in the show. We're going to say it again, especially with the 88th legislative session currently happening. Know who your state representative is, your state senator, and also your U.S. congressional representatives. Because Really, this is a federal issue, but Texas is doing something. So know what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, anything else that comes to mind before we sign off? I can't think of anything. I mean, I think maybe just words of encouragement, which is that um, these things are thorny and they're deep. And I feel like we're really kind of finding the core of of what we want to put out in the world, which is to like dive into the thorny stuff. It's not going to be clean and neat, but it is worth it. It's worth it to learn more. And also I would say like 
don't expect to be an expert right away. I know that I'm, I was struggling a lot reading these articles of like, oh, wait, what does that mean? Wait, let me, let me back up a little bit and see what that means. Like, yeah, just trying to wrap my mind around what Title 42 is and why it was originally put in place and all of that. It's a lot. It definitely is a lot. Um, But, you know, let's do it together. (laughs) And we are capable. We are definitely capable. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I like that, Nicole. Yeah. Don't feel like, oh, this is just like hurting my head. I'm not even going to try. That's what this podcast is for. We're going to do that head hurting part and try to distill it. So if you listen to this, at least you're like, okay, I have a little bit better of a sense of what is happening. Yeah. A jumping off point is kind of, I think, how we see ourselves. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Don't forget to sign up for our newsletter. This is where we let you know, where we sort of recap the podcast. If you don't have a chance to listen, you can get your quick little takes or you can get your nice reminder like, oh yeah, I heard that. And now I have it in my email box and I can go back to it and reference it and uh, you know, review us. We love reviews. We love ratings on Apple Podcasts and we will talk to y'all soon. Thanks so much. Thank you, everybody, for joining me, Nicole Abshire, and my co-host, Claire Campos O'Neill, on Go Behind the Ballot. Hopefully, we've demystified some little portion of Texas politics, and we hope that you'll do more with us. Check out our website at www.gobehindtheballot.com, where you'll find links to all of our social media, and you will find our community. Let's join together and do more. We hope you'll let us know what is working, and we hope you'll join us next week. Thanks, everybody, and have a good one.